0: Mishka Shibali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented
1: than him. All right, all right, all right. Hey, what's up, gang? Uh, this is the Mishka Shibali podcast, and I am the man named after the show. Uh, hey, how are you? How you doing? Um... I Good, interesting, I don't know, bad, terrible, rotten weekend behind me. The You learn a lot of uh, life lessons um, making a high-profile, top-notch, very professional podcast like this one. Uh, the lesson that I learned this weekend is don't talk about your new girlfriend on the podcast because you will get dumped. Uh, I got dumped on saturday that's an interesting sensation it's like the stubbing your toe or something like that where it's just that it hurt horribly the first time you did it and then it hurt horribly the second time and it, every single time it just fucking hurts every time wow yeah it sucks um anyway uh today we have a uh We we have a bunch of good podcasts in the pipeline. I talked to um, Andy Falkes of Future of the Left and McCluskey and Christian Fitness. Uh, We have one with Josh Mallerman coming up this week. I'm recording conversation uh, conversation with uh, Joe Cardamone from the Icarus line and uh, also a collaborator of uh, my friend Mark Lanigan's uh, with uh, Dark Mark and Skeleton Joe. Uh, They put out a great record last year. And I have a conversation coming up next week with my old friend, Star Anna, who is also a um, a songwriter and an Ellensburg native. And uh, maybe, who knows, maybe she will present the, the alternate side of the Lanigan coin. I know that she knew him a little bit and did not have the enduring affection for the man that I did. The... Um, our conversation today is with my friend uh, Chris Pierce, who is a comedian and podcaster like I guess everyone is these days, but few people are uh, ex-doorman, ex-powerlifter, uh, future professional left, uh, future, <laughs> future professional wrestlers like Chris Pierce. I um, I really love this dude. He is a a really successful podcast called Death Metal Dicks which I totally recommend it's about uh crimes that were inspired by death metal songs which is a fucking brilliant premise um, one of the things i really admire about chris is that he's um he is a mo- he's a fucking macho dude he is a big uh hunk uh big mountain of man um the incredibly strong mentally and physically and he has worked as as a wrestler and as somebody who's worked security since he was a teenager he he lives and works and moves in a world where uh violence is one of the currencies um but he's since I've known him he's been always been a very thoughtful down to earth dude um, very reluctant to to actually engage in violence. It's one of those things that uh, the threat is always uh, more preferable to the execution. Um, Chris has also had sort of a horror show of a childhood and has grown up to be a great dude. And uh, in times when I sort of look at myself and come up short, or when when I'm struggling, um, I learned, I quickly learned to sort of look to him and, uh, see what he's doing, see what he's up to. Um, an incredibly positive dude. Um, so please enjoy this conversation with Chris Pierce. Yeah. Sounds, sounds amazing. Is this your first day podcasting? Yeah. Yeah. Does the, <laughs>
0: do the earphone sound okay?
1: The, yeah, the, I can hear you and stuff. How
0: are you, buddy? I'm great, man. How are you doing? been a
1: weird couple of years. The, um, I feel like we actually, we haven't had like a real, uh, conversation voice to voice since two and a half years, three, three years, long time.
0: Yeah. It's been a minute, dude, for
1: sure. The, um, let me give you an introduction. So everybody knows who you are. The, um, I always get, I, I like fuck this up too. I always get um, people's de- like details wrongs, but, um, Chris Pierce is a comedian and podcaster, which just about everybody is these days. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, recovering, uh, recovering door guy, uh, recovering fighter and your power lifting and then also wrestling with buddy. Now, is that right?
0: Yeah, man! Pro wrestling debut this Saturday.
1: The so, what is your uh, what's your team name? Do you have a Do you have a team? Do you have colors? Do you have
0: the- Yeah, dude, our tag team. We came up with Hell Patrol, which is a Judas pre song.
1: The uh, you're not doing uh, denim on denim.
0: <laughs> it's denim on denim for sure. <laughs> no, dude, I got some. I got some sick. Like uh, I guess you would call them speedo type briefs that I'm waiting on to get delivered. Hopefully they make it in time. They're like, they look like a surge bottle kind of.
1: (laughs) Wait, It looks like a surge bottle in the front or the back.
0: The whole thing. It's like (laughs) neon green lightning bolts.
1: I, I can't fucking wait for this. The, um, (laughs) there are too many points of convergence with, uh, with comedy and professional wrestling. The, but, um, I, I'm not a hardcore fan like uh like Josh and Brennan are. The but I started watching is it behind the ring, outside the ring, under the ring. Dark side of the ring? The dark, dark side thing. of the ring. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I started watching that a couple summers ago and like really got sucked into it. Like I'm still sort of heartbroken about the Bret Hart thing, which happened twenty five years ago now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I just wanna I'm like 35 right now and if i could start doing steroids and cocaine like right now i think i can get out of here by the time i'm 60
1: (laughs) i I like that you're running the actuarial numbers of like you know the (laughs) the the, i mean speaking as somebody who's 45 let me just tell you it only gets worse man (laughs) the the I, it's funny, like I knew I was podcasting with you today. So I went out and like lifted a couple of weights like four times. Like you're going to be able to tell, like, oh, I can see you got a a fresh pump on, bro. The,
0: yeah, you got a pump, dude. (laughs) You blow your (laughs) shirt up. Yeah.
1: The, no, I've just been, I've been running a fucking shitload. The, especially with a new dog, the, the new dog always wants to run, never wants to lift. Does the dog run like full speed with you? Yeah. The, she will, uh, I did whatever four and a half miles with her this morning i we've gotten up to doing whatever six and a half or seven miles and she's like fucking just hammering it the whole time
0: holy shit we have a five pound mini fox terrier i saw we that. Took her I, saw that. I mean she's like super active so i figured she we took her on a couple of smaller hikes and we did like a 30 mile two and a half day backpacking trip dude and she had no problems i would I try to pick, I have like a bag for I try to put her in the bag and she wouldn't have it. She just went the whole time. So dogs are crazy and they have like the stamina you want, you know?
1: Yeah. The, I feel like those small terriers too are good for remarkably long distance. Cause when I was like looking at getting a dog, I thought about actually getting a Jack Russell terrier because the, those small terriers can actually go like a long fucking way. Like, I mean, just harnessing that energy, the, but I just got Mexican street dog, but she's fucking bulletproof, dude. The, I mean, I, I've been kind of bumming today. So I just, uh, I just took a shower with her cause that usually, uh, perks me right up. But, uh I don't know, even showering with the
0: dog, I still feel You're like anti dog for a while. What happens?
1: The, I don't think I was anti dog. I was just staunchly pro cat. And then, um, I had a girlfriend who really wanted a dog. The. And, uh, and I caved and, um, our, our neighbor had a, like this adorable little puppy that was up for grabs. And I just, now I have a dog, the, um, I'm coming around to it though, man, the today for the first, today was like a big step. We, um, we walked down to the vacant lot at the end of my block, um, without a leash on today. And, uh. I feel prouder about that than pretty much anything else I've done with my life that my dog like listens to me.
0: That's wild. I can't do that. My dog will take off. Well, she was like a stray. So she wanders, she just takes off
1: the, um, yeah, when I got my dog, she was, she had been bit in the face and she had a big fucked up abscess. The, and I was worried that it would make her sort of anxious or aggressive, but, uh, no, she's just, um, she's, she's a lover. She's all lover. The, um, how's, uh, how's Jackie? How's, uh, how's, uh, TJ Tetanus Jackie? How's old Jackie Lockjaw? How's she doing? Oh shit. The, I feel like the, yeah, the, let me try and connect again. I just made a joke about, uh, Jackie's Lockjaw and then there was like, uh, a very long silence. And I was like, Oh, this is, this has already gone horribly wrong. I did a podcast with Dante and we got the time wrong because of There was like the time change in Arizona doesn't change for daylight savings. So he just like waited in his car for me for an hour (laughs) and then we podcasted, but he does get the distinction of being the, the first person to actually pull a gun out on the podcast.
0: Oh, nice, dude. If I would have known, I could have talked to him right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm waiting for, for uh, Jackie to come walking through the background, just like strapped with AKs.
0: <laughs> dude, Dante was probably like pulling his gun out in an Arby's parking lot or something, too.
1: <laughs> the I'm not a gun person, but the I was, I don't know, we were just talking about um, how Dante's both like a really amiable fellow and also in the last couple of years, I feel like he's gotten a lot like saltier. And
0: uh and he was just he, He's like a black conservative, right?
1: The I don't know, we didn't get into pol no, like, he he talks about uh I think he talks about supporting Bernie or canvassing for Bernie, and he has a lot of I hope they're jokes about how hot Hillary Clinton is. And uh the <laughs> But he talked about how his you know his life has made him both uh nicer and meaner, you know, where he's just sort of like uh um huge black dude, always strapped, uh ready to hug the people he loves.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, that's one way. Yeah. One. Guns uh guns are fine. I'd never walk around with one. I don't get the whole concealed carry movement i mean i live in arkansas arkansas you can open carry which is always a wild move so guaranteed every every time you go to the grocery store you see some dude and like uh i'm a welder i kneel for the cross kiss the flag with like two guns on a side bowie knife it's like what are you trying to get into like what do you think's gonna happen the i
1: i saw a biker at a stoplight once uh recently and he was like and he had a big, like, uh, fucking uh, sledgehammer-type, like, Colt revolver at his, you know, side. And he was, like, blasting the eagles. And I was like, you know,
0: maybe if you weren't <laughs> fucking
1: blasting the eagles everywhere you go, you wouldn't feel so fucking threatened.
0: Like, Yeah, I recommend definitely people learn how to fight. First step It's like, personal protection and confidence goes a lot further just feels real sticky to have a gun. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know about Dante, but man, most people I know that just carry a gun around, it's not like they're going to like tactical training to learn how to be mobile with it. So they're just going to get disarmed or shot or shoot someone that doesn't need to be shot. Cause they're afraid. It doesn't seem like a great move.
1: Yeah. The, I can't trust myself with a white t-shirt. Like
0: a gun is
1: just far too much responsibility
0: yeah. I mean, I've taken two guns away from people. I've had guns pulled on me twice and taken them away directly. So I just don't think unless you're like, you know, ex-military or have, I don't think police even have that much training, but if you have, you know, ample police style training, you don't need that shit. All right. So you got to tell these stories. Uh, I got a gun pulled on me once the first time at a skinny puppy show. I was bouncing. I was 18 and uh this dude had a big bag of coke and was just pulling it out and i was like man i'm not like the drug bouncer i don't really give a shit but you're like pulling it out and trying to pass it around to people so you know i'm gonna take that you're gonna leave we get to the it was like an exit door and then you had to go downstairs to go out the back exit so like i had him in front of me it was like rookie bouncing mistake i had him in front of me because he wasn't really giving me a problem and then he turned around and put the pistol like right in my stomach and was like, you're going to give me the Coke back. And I just grabbed his hand and he dropped the gun immediately. So I picked the gun up, took the Coke. and was like, well, this is what I call a come up tonight, buddy. So <laughs> <laughs> Jesus,
1: fuck, dude. The did that. I mean, did that fuck you up at all?
0: Man, not really in the moment. It was just so fast. It was like the dumbest shit. Like, it was just a reaction to it. Like, I I mean, I had wrestled since I was a little kid. So, it wasn't like, I saw it in my stomach and I just felt like, I don't know. I didn't really feel. I just yanked it away from him and he dropped it. He just fumbled it because he was nervous, you know, I think. And then, like, he lost his whole means of defense. So, he had to give up and leave. I was nervous about having it like, uh, you know, I was 18. I never drank or did any drug until I was like 22 or three. So I was a real dork about having the Coke and I like gave it to the cops outside (laughs) like a (laughs) square, but that was probably the most unnerving part. And the second time was real scary. Uh, I used to bounce at this club that was like the town I live in now is hot Springs national park and it's big deal. So we've got our horse racing track. So you get, uh, when race meets going, I mean, I, I think the population of the town's like 60,000. It's not very big. But when race meets going on, like uh, last weekend, we had the Arkansas Derby in town, and there was 100,000 more people literally in town for that. So, you know, you're basically tripling your population. And the bar I used to work at was right across the street from that. And it was the only 5 a.m. bar in town. So you already had like, all your sketchy locals that had, that was the late night hangout spot. So after they drank wherever else they would come there and then a mix of like proper people and sketchy people that would come to go to the casino and horse track. So it was just a nonstop brawl from, I mean you get there at four o'clock in the afternoon and you'd already be fighting with drunks. And so anyway, it was like bike rally week. ton of people there and this old biker is like puking and falling asleep at this table. So I'm telling him to get up and leave. He's like, I served in Vietnam. He's like, all right, man, well, that's cool and everything, but you can't throw up and sleep at a bar. He goes, have you ever held your guts in your hand? And I was like, no man, quit doing fucking full metal jacket and just get out of here. I like try to pull him up. And first thing he tries to pull a knife out and there was a bouncer right behind me, pulled that out of his hand I remember taking him to the door and uh kind of having a rear naked choke. And he re- he was trying to reach something on side. I thought he was trying to grab his knife again. But then he pulls out like a little, I don't know if it was probably like a 357. It was like fitting the palm type of gun. Pulled it out and was like trying to point it up. So I had to grab and wrist lock his hand and make him drop it. That one was like way closer because I didn't really notice it. Like if he wouldn't have been drunk, he could have definitely blasted me with that. So that one was way more stressful. And uh you know, it's not a lot of pride in beating up an old person, but sometimes <laughs> you got to get asked. It. <laughs> yeah. I, kicked the, I Got a, a little bit of an, of an adrenaline hit on that and had to kick the guy's ass. It was crazy though. I mean, it, that was uh shit right after I met Jackie. Um, so I think that was like a, one of the last time I, I think I gave my two weeks, like a couple of days after that, just too much. The, uh,
1: yeah. I have the equal and opposite story, which is when I was like 22. And I think I was like bouncing at a Coke bar in, uh, in Manhattan. And the one night I had to throw out a guy in a wheelchair and it was I there. I was like, I like showed up for my shift. And this dude was there, you know, drinking at the end of the bar. And, uh, he quickly had, enough or too much and the bartender was like yo you got to get rid of him and i was like like how do i throw out the dude in the wheelchair and uh so i went and talked to him you know to try and sort of like to leave <laughs> on his own and uh and he wouldn't do it and then so i was like all right fuck it like we're doing this you know so i went behind him to like grab the wheelchair to just wheel him out and he was like putting the brakes on and stuff and it was like it was just dude it was just so sad it was like um <laughs> it's like you know you're trying to like, I don't know help a seagull with a broken wing or something like that, and you're like, do I do I help it? do I bring its snack like what it was just flopping around you know, a lot of flopping around and bad feelings and uh the yeah, and I think I, I put my I put my notice in at that place after that the I definitely had that thing a couple of times in New York where I was sort of like you talk to somebody and they're like, all right, it's cool, man, I'll go. And then at the door you would get fucking bottled or something like that, you know? And I, so I learned to watch out for the guys who are like
0: too easy on the way out. Yeah. You pretty much always have to put your hands like on them, not in like an aggressive way, but you gotta be touching them. I I sent a guy in a wheelchair fucking sailing down the street before he bit me. (laughs) Same type of shit. Like I was scooting him out by his wheelchair and he fucking turned around and bit me. So I, (laughs) (laughs) the I feel- my favorite bouncing thing is the like my favorite bouncing move is the uh best move is like man let's go talk about this outside and then just lock the door
1: yeah the i see i used to so i, I learned to fight from like playing hockey and um a hockey enforcer told me once to you know the way you win a fight is just to um, Cause I have like long monkey arms just to hold a guy as far away from you as you can. And then just reach in and touch him with the other hand. And he said, uh, no, he said, put your thumb in his eye socket and your middle finger in his ear. And with the other hand hit him until he gets gushy. That's, that's what he said. The, and that was like a good strategy until everybody Gush. learned fucking <laughs> MMA. And then I had, to, <laughs> yeah, I had to yeah change my strategy because I got my ass beat a bunch of times
0: <laughs> yeah dude, the 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 rise of uh, the rise of people training mixed martial arts definitely changed bouncing, but I always like that. It was always the best fun when somebody that's like not near as good as you are think they're about to do some shit, and then you just clown them
1: <laughs> the i this is one of those things that like always happens the I end up bouncing people at bars. I don't work at the, I was in Alaska doing shows with JT and there was this, um, this like Marine who was like mouthing off the security guard and we've been working there all week. So we got to know the staff. So I kind of knew this guy and I was like, I see this going bad. And then um, Marine took a swing at the bouncer and I was like, all right, then I'm going to back him up, you know? So it was the two of us trying to get this dude down this long hallway to get him out of the exit and the, you know, and he's probably whatever, 24, 25, like in literally in fighting shape, you know, the um, and then it's me and this the bouncer and I've i been on the road for too long and the bouncer is sort of like soft and old. And we got him all the way to the end of the hallway and we got him out the door and he turned around and he looked at us and he was like, well, you got me, but it fucking took two of you. <laughs> and I was like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's time for good to move point. On. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Getting getting a little old for it. The so I, I gotta ask you, you and I don't know. I mean, we don't know each other particularly well. We've never like gone fucking deep in, into the, well, I guess we've gone into some of the shit from our lives, but the, I feel like we've actually hung out in person like three times at, at, at a heel show or maybe a couple of heel shows the but i'm i'm curious as to like your origin myth like how do you wind up bouncing at a fucking skinny puppy show when you're 18 how did you not drink and do drugs until you were 22 you missed mm-hmm. the best years of your life man
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's true well i wrestled uh so i had to keep it pretty clean and uh when I, was starting, when I was starting college, I, I worked at this bar. I got this gig. It was a venue called 32 Blue in Colorado Springs. And it was like a, was like a House of Blues knockoff type of thing. And they had a job that was like uh, inter, intern production assistant. And basically what that was was like being a gopher. So like you pick bands up, you'd run whatever errands, like pick up whatever they had in the rider. And then during the show, you'd pretty much just be a bouncer. And then the dude that was the production assistant stole a bunch of money and the guy reported him. And then he was like holed up in some hotel room with a bunch of coke. But, uh, but no, but, but, so I started bouncing then. But, you know, I had I feel a like lot this of is how, experience. I feel,
1: like, I feel like this is how promotions work in the bar industry is the somebody sees that you know how to fight and then somebody else uh, dies or disappears or steals a bunch of money. And then they're like, kid, you're in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, at the time it was the sickest job at the time, but today, you know, what you felt cool doing when you are 18, you know, now that you know, you, you, you are a musician, so you travel around and you know that the uh, production assistant is like definitely the sketchiest person at the venue. Yeah.
1: The, I I've definitely done that gig too.
0: The I've done all those gigs. The um, yeah, it's just like, like a dude. Like the whole job is just stealing money for coke, basically. Like <laughs> however you can grift. Well, you like selling comp tickets is what this dude was doing. You can like sell comp tickets or just pinch off the top and say like, oh man, we didn't. You know, it's just like that's the whole gig. Just figured out how to screw everybody involved for the most part. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's definitely a big hustle, especially like. Well, I was gonna say, especially in the fucking smaller bars, but no, especially in every one, the it's um, yeah, it sucks. The and,
0: the music. Yeah, this is like a big ass place too. It was it was like a fifteen hundred person cap venue. Like I had to pay. I mean, when I was eighteen, dude, I had to pay Kenny Wayne Shepherd sixty thousand dollars of cash.
1: What the fuck? The all right? How? Yeah. So it was, I, <laughs> break it down man (laughs) you can't you can't just drop that oh i mean he just like (laughs)
0: no i mean he just like came to the venue and uh i think he was supposed to get way more and i mean i had never seen like i was like a poor kid i was like homeless from when i was 14 to 17 and shit uh so i had never seen like i had seen a hundred dollar bill maybe three or four times and so the dude that owned the venue, something had happened where he was too stressed out to be around this guy. So he just dumped it on me. And, like, he left me the the code to the safe. And he was like, yeah, all the cash is in there. You'll be good. Like, just give him this form. That's the breakdown of, like, what the expenses were and everything. And so I'm in there, like, arguing with the dude. Just like, man, I don't know... I have this breakdown for you. Uh, I fucking don't know any of the ins and outs. Like this is the cash I have for you, and it was sixty thousand fucking dollars in cash. Which is that's not that entertaining of a story. But the best the best story I have from that whole thing is I had a similar situation with the Decembrists. You know that in Iraq.
1: Yeah, I, I played with them once.
0: Okay, so that dork. (laughs) I had to pay him and he's like, he's like, this guy. And they, they flopped. Like they didn't, you know, they were, I guess, pretty big at the time, but nobody came to that show. I mean, like I said, it was like a 1500 cap venue. Uh There's probably 200 people there and everybody thought it was going to be a home run. You know, Colorado Springs has got a college in town and like, they're pretty big for indie rock type shit. So anyway, like I'm paying the dude out and he was there, you know, he saw how many people were there. He couldn't expect, like i don't know what he was expecting but i try to pay him and it's the singer of the band handling all their shit he goes uh hey listen up i'm a capital records recording artist some fucking kid is not going to sit here and tell me and i was like that's very cool man but i could literally break you in half right now so if you want to get beat up by a kid in the back of some shitty venue you can keep this up or you can take your money and get the fuck out of here and uh which option did he select he took option B, but he kind of pouted about it and said that Capitol was going to sue, and of course, you know, nothing happened. I mean, the venue shut down, but I don't think it was related to that. I think it's because that guy was sketchy as fuck.
1: The... I can't figure out if you learn to fight because you have such a smart mouth on you or you develop such a smart mouth because you can fight. The Because you... You're, you always have these you know, incredible stories about the submarine telling you you look like Bob Seeger and then you dragging him out in a fucking chokehold and you get in all the good lines. And when, for me, whenever I'm in a physical confrontation, like two weeks later, I'm like, what I should have said to that guy was, you know, the, then it comes to me. And in the moment, I'm just sort of like, actually, I've said the, the right thing a couple of times, but mostly I just sort of like sputter.
0: Well, you make me sound like an asshole. I'm normally not. It just <laughs> depends. You know, I'm never the instigator, but I think, uh, well, I can tell you for sure. I mean, from doing wrestling, mixed martial arts, and uh, I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for 14 years now, but uh, it, it just gives you confidence in a good way. not like overconfident, like I'm the man, but... Like, I'm not afraid of physical confrontation because I do it every day, pretty much. You know what I mean? So when someone's trying to threaten me with violence, it's not anything. It's like, I mean, I know, like if someone tells me they're going to kick my ass or whatever, it's like, you better start calling people on the phone because you don't know anybody that knows anybody that knows anybody that can beat me up.
1: (laughs) The, um, no, I, I'm not trying to make you look like a prick. It's, um... It's fascinating to me because I, I grew up most of my life like terrified of physical violence, the, which I think most people do because um, it, it, whatever it is, it's fucking scary. It sucks getting hit. It sucks getting hit in the face. The, and then I, I think I got in a couple of fights in high school and there, there's that sort of galvanizing thing of like the first time somebody clocks you and you don't fall down and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm still here. You know, the, but I've still never, um, when I was working at a bar in New York, I used to, it was like a bridge and tunnel crowd in the circle of, you of, uh, know, Lower East Side, they call hell because it's just overrun by like tech bros and just the worst people with too much money and they, they act the fool and it sucks. The, but I would go in there every night and I would know that I would have to lay hands on somebody that would it be their fault and not mine. And then I just, I started to like look forward to it, but the, so I don't know. It, it's, it's fascinating to me that you, I don't know, I guess come from, come, come from a background of like, I know you had a pretty rough childhood, but also then the wrestling thing of just being able to approach a physical altercation with another human being um, only thinking about it or thinking your way through it and not, with any sort of emotional
0: response or the does that make sense to you yeah well especially like bouncing the last thing i want to do is fight like i don't want to get in a fight i don't want to beat up some guy like it it's always a last resort you know and uh back to the first question of being learning to fight or being smart was for i mean i don't want to like make your podcast a bummer but
1: Dude, uh, I got have you listened I to the kid. podcast? It's always a <laughs> that's I I'm trying to get yeah. you I'm steering you towards the darkness. Fucking spill spill the beans, yeah, man. Let's all do right. it.
0: Yeah, no, I got beat when I was a kid. Like uh I was raised by my grandparents for the most part, but I had to keep going back and forth to my mom, and my mom was an addict and she would just kick the shit out of me and uh started off. I mean, it happened like when I was four years old was the first time I tried to solo live with her. And, uh, my grandparents, she lived in just like one town over, so they could kind of keep an eye on me, but she skipped town. She was, she had me when she was 16. So she would have been 20 at the time. She was like working at a hotel and she skipped town with like a 16 year old boy who had Coke and they just left and they left me there. So I was in an apartment alone for three days with a fucking Pomeranian and uh that was like kind of the start of the back and forth thing. so like she would clean up and then come back into town and they try to get me to live with her again and she's just a fucking nasty person never really got better really you know i think she's off drugs but she never like she's just a violent violent person so that fear of like and i've known i had friends in school that came from an abusive home too so like the fear of physical retaliation just isn't there you've already from like such a young age experienced the maximum hurt you can experience which is like an adult that you care about striking you so there's not much anyone else can do to you to replicate that type of fear so that that went out the window pretty quick
1: fucking brutal dude the um is it, you know, I, I, I'm kind of stunned. I, of <laughs> the whole part of your incredible story, the part to me that's the most incredible is that you didn't drink or do drugs until you were 22. Like by the time I turned 21, I was almost <laughs> like done with drinking. I was like, I fucking drank everything I could find. I've thrown up off of everything. I could barely keep anything down. I think, I think I was 20 the first time I threw up blood. The, so it's, it blows my mind that you, um, that you didn't give into whatever, you know, that fucking darkness until your early twenties, the, um, was it wrestling that like saved you or when did that come into your life?
0: Uh, I I think I also was into hardcore and, you know, like a lot of the bands I like were straight edge, and I was hanging out with. It's definitely weird looking back because I'm 35, and I started getting into hardcore and going to like punk shows and everything when I was probably 14, 15 years old. And it was a bunch of like 30 something year old straight edge dudes, which is, and I would hang out with them. You know, they had like Bobby Lynch and shit, which I think was being nice, but I can't imagine. I mean, I work with homeless kids right now. So like them, I definitely take out to lunch and try to bond with them and stuff. So it could have been something like that. But at the same time, there's probably something weird going on. Because I couldn't imagine myself like going to a show and then snatching up all the 14 or 15 year olds and taking them to Denny's right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: The, um, I mean, is it possible that you were just like a cool, funny kid and that people recognized that early and wanted to
0: sort of encourage you? maybe i think there was some of that yeah i don't know it's weird to look back on like i got definite trust problems with adults especially with like the job i do right now like i work with uh i'm a social worker and we do homeless and runaway youth so just seeing like they're always being manipulated by people twice their age it's like once they get out on the streets it's usually about a 24-hour window until they meet somebody that they think has their best interests but it's really going down a road of trafficking or something darker, you know what I mean? The um
1: what uh what led you to social work? How long have you been doing that?
0: I started in January and uh buddy who I do the podcast with has been doing that for 5 years I think and they uh I lost like a really good job and uh was in the process of figuring out something else to do and that came up and it just seemed like i mean if you're religious god's will <laughs> or if you're not religious just uh you know some type of thing in the universe saying like yeah the the, ch- the the fact that this job hasn't ever had two people at it before and that they're hiring right now and that it's you and me and buddy it just really seemed like it'd be crazy to not take it you know what i mean
1: the um it makes so much sense to me, dude. You know, the people see me with my like special needs cat and they're like, Oh, that's so, you know, adorable. The, uh, you know, large grizzled man, tiny helpless creature. And I'm like, Oh, you should meet, you know, Chris Pierce and his squirrel, you know, RIP or your tiny little dog or all the, all the, (laughs) all the animals you've had the, um, is it exhausting doing social work?
0: Uh, not to sound like some fucking singer right now, but it's more rewarding than exhausting. uh, Me and Buddy have like a really easy time relating to them because we've been through all that shit before. So they're they're used to talking to people like that are strictly mental health professionals that have gone to school and learned what they're supposed to say, but, you know, have no idea what the kids have gone through. They know from a clinical standpoint but they've never lived that way. So when a kid tells them what they're out doing, it doesn't resonate with them the same way. You know, they think like, wow, that's crazy. What can I do to curb you from this? When I, all I hear is like, okay, well, that's how you're trying to survive right now. Let's see if we can curb this into something more positive. Uh, and I think that, you know how when you meet people, like doing calmly or traveling around with a bunch of comedians, I mean, the the entire hierarchy or pecking order goes by do they have the goods or not you know you can tell people whatever you want to tell them you can tell them all your accolades how good you are who you've opened for where uh what clubs you've worked then you see them get on stage and you're like "What the fuck is this guy talking about so the reality factor goes a long way with the kids because if i if i was full of shit like a counselor was they wouldn't hear what i have to say but because i've been through the same shit they've been through. It's a lot easier for them to listen to. And plus I look like a dirtbag too. So I think that helps.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like seeing what you and buddy post and listening to your podcast and stuff. I, I, you know, alternately go back and forth between, um, you know, of course these guys work with kids and also who the fuck would ever let these two around children. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> like yeah. well- sometimes that's what kids need, man.
1: The watching buddy like lose his fucking glasses into a
0: cooler full of barf. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, it classic.
1: It's funny, you know, because like, I, you know, I'm, I'm sober. I've been sober for a while. Like the, that's what's right for me. And the, you know, I spent a lot of my energy talking to people who are in recovery and the, um, they're co- often kind of humorless about alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. The, and, um, you know, watching watching buddy throw up out of his nose, I'm like, it makes me feel <laughs> not just grateful to be sober, but also grateful that I did all that fucking stupid shit, you know, the I, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I remember having this conversation with my dad where he was, you know, he was trying to give me that like, trying to have like one of those fucking bonding conversations with me about um you know and i was like playing in a fucking band that nobody cared about and like doing shows that nobody came to and he was trying to say like you know that i'm proud of you and i'm proud that you've sort of like chosen this life and you know made this life on your own terms or whatever but what i really heard was like i wish i'd had a threesome before i met your mom you know that he, <laughs> what he <laughs> What he really respected about my life was all the imaginary pussy that I was crushing. You know the which I and I was like, Dad, if you knew (laughs) the yeah, like walking out of you know walking out of the venue with your eleven dollars and you know a fifty nine year old who looks like fucking Chris Robinson from the Black Crows is like, you know, you want a hand job. I could, all you, dad. Yeah, but oh, you were yeah. a real, you were a real fucking, you, you were a
0: real Poonsman back in the day though, yeah?
1: The, I, I think we have a bad connection where uh, we're breaking up. I totally, totally didn't hear that. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, uh, um, all right.
0: I yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I, I have my fun and I, the, um I don't regret it the, it was, it was something that I wanted to do. And then obviously that other people wanted to do the, um, and I think that, I don't know, man, the, if you, if you have a dream, even if it's a weird, shitty or shallow dream, and then you find a way to talk yourself out of it or not to pursue that dream for the rest of your life, it will haunt you. You know the. And I remember moving to New York when I was like 21 and I've been listening. So
0: your dad's, your dad's dream was getting more pussy.
1: I think so. Yeah. The,
0: and, uh, that's what I'm picking up on is that he's haunted by not getting enough pussy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I I didn't think we were going to talk about my dad on this podcast, but all right, fuck it. Yeah. No, the, um, I think that, yeah it's less specifically about him i definitely feel like my dad is haunted that he didn't get laid more or didn't fuck more women or like rack up higher numbers or something like that but you know if you um if you wanted to be a fucking professional juggler and then you talked yourself out of it now you were like i instead i will go into the lucrative and reliable field of stand-up comedy i think for the rest of your life you would look back <laughs> on your juggling days and be like man I fucking could have been somebody, you know, the, or I I really could have done something with that, you know, the, um, you know, and I think that, um, being on the road and, you know, having different girls around the country and stuff like that, the, um, that one of the things that I learned from that experience was that that wasn't going to make me happy. The, you know, it wasn't going to the, I sort of got to a, 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 a sense of obligation of like the, you know, it's like if you show up to the venue and there's a pizza there and you've just eaten, you're like, oh, this is, this is part of how we're getting paid. And like, I really, I don't need to eat a fucking other pizza, but it's here. And it's like one of the perks of the job, you know, the, if I don't, then I'm going to regret it. And then you eat it and then you fucking regret it more. Mm-hmm. The, but um, but yeah, thank you for bringing up my uh, sluttiness on the road. I totally appreciate that, Chris. The
0: uh, you're a good you're a good dude. No, that rocks, dude. I kind of feel like your dad, man. I never. Uh... <laughs> All right, that's that's kind Keep of going. something I think came along. That's, that's probably something that came along with like not partying very much. So wasn't exactly like a smooth customer, or I never really even tried either. So I kind of uh, missed out on the post wagon. But fucking rules, man, don't let them take that away from you. (laughs) The um I mean when I was young,
1: I I was uh I fucking bombed with women, you know, when I was young because the I was so shit faced by nine o'clock, like my eyes were rolling back in my head. The and also I was um you know, I was a sad, weepy drunk sort of early and often. And apparently, um, you know, the ladies are not into a sort of, you know, suicidal, morose uh you know self-pitying The well i don't know maybe they are the my chemical romance and stuff like that i didn't dye my hair maybe that was the problem the uh um
0: yeah i thought that was the move dude
1: the being being uh being bummed out in emo or dying your hair
0: uh being bummed out in emo for sure those those guys seem to do great yeah
1: Well, hi. Hello there. Um, My name is Cheeto. I am an adorable little uh, three-legged puppy. And as you all know, uh, little adorable little three-legged orphan puppies all care about quality podcasts. And uh, I want you all to know that I subscribe to the, uh, the Patreon for the Mishka Shibali podcast. And you should too. It's the only thing I like more... Than kibble, num num. So please head on over to slash uh, Mishka Shabali, sign up. There's all kinds of good uh, crap there. There's uh, writing advice and tips, there's published, unpublished stories, there's a bunch of demos. Um, A bunch of sort of loose dispatches from my life. I mean, his life. And uh, I don't know, just really good stuff that uh, adorable uh, three-legged orphan puppies named Cheeto really love. And you will too. So uh, patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. All the proceeds will go to uh, puppy food for orphans or other things. Okay, thank you.
0: How did you get into comedy? Um, how did I get into comedy? Fuck, I don't think my story's that cool. I mean, mostly just that lame shit where all your friends laugh at you all the time and tell you are funny and that you should do it. Oh, dude, I, okay, so, uh, I met this guy who's, like, turned into a total, I think he was a QAnon dude. His name's John Toll, do you know him? I think I know him, yeah. Alright, so... I knew him through hardcore. He was in a hardcore band called uh, Pit Boss Two Thousand, which was like a jokey band. Um, all things considered, it makes sense that he is like. And I'm not. I'm not like a political guy, so I don't say QAnon to like hold somebody into like. Oh, he's a conservative. I mean, like, I, he literally was like a QAnon guy. So <clears throat> I was teaching jujitsu at this gym, and this guy named Colin. Uh, every time he came to our shitty club, the Looney Bin, he, he trained jiu-jitsu, so he would come in and, like, take my class. And he brought John with him, and I hadn't seen John in years, and I was talking to him, and we were just goofing around that he was like, oh, man, you should try comedy. And so I didn't know how to do it, and you're going to hate this, but I listened to Joe Rogan. It's like, through jiu stuff stuff, this is like, I mean, whenever Rogan first came out, like, that's basically what his podcast was centered around, was like, MMA so I knew him from that perspective but then he would have comics on and they were all newer I think and so they would talk a lot about like going to open mics and how to start doing comedy so I found the open mic and then uh, we went on a camping trip and I took a bunch of acid and I had a gun with me because <laughs> there was like a there was like a warning that went out on the trail we were on that there was, uh, like they'd see a mountain line just a couple days before. So I was all freaked out and I took my gun and I don't have it concealed to carry and Arkansas is open carry, but I just like threw it in my backpack. And so once we started taking acid, like a helicopter flew over and I was a hundred percent sure that somehow they found out that I had a gun. And so I threw this like $600 pistol off of a cliff and, uh, Everyone was mad at me, and so I was having, like, I guess what you would call a bad trip, and I was like, man, I got to make some changes in my life, And so I think guess that change I decided was to, like, start doing stand-up, <laughs> so I went to the Looney Bin's open mic, and it was, like, their open mic contest, and they were like, oh, man, it's a contest, are you sure you want to, and I didn't know any better, so I was like, yeah, of course, and then uh, that was, like, eight years ago, so yeah, I've been at it. Ever since
1: I'm every angle of your life. Just, I don't know the, that, I mean, I, maybe it's cause I, I came up sort of like in a different scene where we were always just shitting on the hardcore dudes and like making fun of the, all the New York hardcore kids who were like, you know, yo, I'm from the street. And then I met some of those guys and heard some of their stories. And I was like, Oh, I'm a dick for making fun of you for that. Because some of you have incredibly fucking devastating stories. The, um, yeah, Really were from the streets. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of them actually were. The and that's a hard fucking life. And if you, if it didn't kill you, then you have my, you know, my total respect. The um, but I love, I love that you have this horrific bad trip, and you're like, I'm headed down the wrong path. I need to change my life. Stand up comedy <laughs> will save me. The Saint Joe Rogan and the,
0: uh, the shining <laughs> path of stand up comedy the <laughs> yeah it's it's dork shit for sure like i, I mean i a lot of I, people have cool stories but
1: i i don't mind like early joe rogan you know the cuz he does know a lot about fighting and i think he's really knowledgeable there but i think a lot of us make the mistake i mean this is basically how i got into comedy is like you know people make the mistake of thinking they know how to do a thing like fucking writing songs or writing the and then they're like, oh, I can tell jokes. The and that's how I sort of fell into it. The um, but I mean, this is kind of a weird, loose question. But the um, I feel like I'm asking you a lot, a lot of like really fucking probing questions. But that's sort of the point of. I mean, this podcast is sort of taking shape. The one of the things that I want to do with it. Well, I mean, when I'm fucking crowdsourcing my therapy, trying to fucking figure out how to be happy, the um, but also like when when you hang out with your friends, you just you hang out, you don't fucking grill somebody. So I, I try to take this opportunity to like grill some of my friends who have had interesting lives and done interesting things. The my the overarching question that I have for you is like, how are you not a fucking huge asshole? You're every time that I've known you the, through the entire, you know, the span of our friendship, you've, you've always been a good dude. You're um, you're a great big hunk of man. You're uh, I've always known you to be reluctant to use violence to solve a situation. And, and when it does come to that, you, the, you never seem to have any sort of um, you never feel good about it or proud of it. It's always like, Oh, I, I should have been able to talk my way through that. the, um, you're like a loving husband and father. The You take care of your friends. You listen to me when I fucking gripe to you. Like, how, how did you go through this brutal upbringing in, I mean, I'll fucking call it what it is, this horrific white trash upbringing in Arkansas. And then hardcore turns a lot of people shitty. Um, violence turns a lot of people shitty. Stand-up comedy makes everybody shitty the how did it not fucking work on you <laughs> like how did you make it through all this stuff as
0: a fucking human being man uh well first not to just show our, i i i grew up in colorado i've, I've only oh, lived right. here for like 13 years not 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 to like move the story off track but i'm sure if colorado i put this out people will listen and be like why are you lying to all me all right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, I don't know. I, uh, I definitely had a time where I was a real shithead. Um, comedy has never done it to me. I, I don't want to say I do take it seriously. Um, it's a job to me, but a lot of the aspects that comics that are generally assholes take seriously, I just don't like the, why does this person get to do this? Or why does why is that person working here and I'm not? Or why am I home this weekend and this guy's out of town? Just shit like that. Is, I've never been like uh, just through. I don't know why, but I'm always like anything that's that's happening in your life is a product of like your actions. So I've never I never compare myself to other people, and I never I never feel threatened by other people. Um, I always want to like have a good time too. Like that's, that's been my biggest frustration in comedy is like, if I'm in a green room, you know, and I'm featuring for someone I don't know and there's three people on a show, like when the vibe's bad, the show is generally not as good. So I'm always like the more fun the hang is, the more fun the shows are. So I'm generally focused on just having fun when I'm doing comedy. So I, like I, I most, most comedians I know spend a lot of time complaining. And I think that that rubs off on other comedians. And then, I mean, everyone that knows comics know that it's just like 90% of the conversation is complaints. So I don't really want to hear that shit. And I don't really want to be a part of that shit. So probably a little bit of that comedy wise has definitely helped me be a more mellow character. The, I, I,
1: podcasted with uh, Jonas Barnes in New York um, the other day and, you know, we were talking about whatever comedy, the scene, all that shit, you know, and he said, you know, I, the, you know, one of the struggles that I have with comedy is that I, I hate networking. I'm terrible at networking. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's why we're friends. That's why we can get along together is because you're not good at networking. The, and it seems like the, the, but, but that is an an essential part of what we do too. Is that like people fucking get on bills because they're friends with people or whatever, and it is all hierarchical, you know. The, um, I, um, I love Jay White Cotton, and the, you know, he and I will just sort of talk and compare notes, and sometimes we talk when we're happy. Usually when we talk when we're fucking bummed about something but the he's always offered me sort of notes and constructive criticism and oh I, I had an idea for this and stuff like that and what i want to say to him and say to you is that this is not a cooperative effort we're all in direct competition with one another it's like the fucking dog eat dog out there like the you know who the who the fuck are you to to just go and enjoy it and not be eternally <laughs> jockeying for position.
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like it's definitely helped me in some ways because, you know, I'm I'm not like a headliner. Nobody knows who I am. I'm not going to put butts in seats. So uh, I just feel like being fun to be around is going to go a lot further than trying to grease everybody's palms. You know what I'm saying? So like generally all the stuff that I get to do is mostly based off of friends giving me work. And then I usually become friends with them by having fun with them. So I don't know. I get that networking thing. Um, I don't even like networking is not ever, I don't even know what it is. Okay. Just like show up and have fun. You know, I don't ask to do anything. Like that's another thing. I don't like beat people's doors down. I did a little bit, um, I know you talk about COVID stuff too, like I had at the behest of my friends that, you know, are way more successful than me, like email venues, like, Hey man, uh, I don't really want to do this, but my friend told me to definitely send you his name and to, you know, use that to say, he vouches for me. If I can come to your club and I didn't hear much back and then during the pandemic, uh, all those clubs got back to me because they were still going, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of their normal people wouldn't take it, but my dumbass had like figured like, all right, this is going to be a dried up stream for a year at least. So I opened a restaurant and couldn't get away. So I turned down from like 2020 until, I mean, I'm just starting to start doing shit again. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff in the meantime, but like I'm trying to book myself. And not just like being taken out by my friends um like i turned down a lot of shit you know and i that is the most frustrating like thing that could make me an asshole is i just missed a lot of work for the, and it was like the first time i asked for anything too you know like hey can i come work here and i had to like just straight up be like well <laughs> i can't do that now so sorry
1: yeah i mean the it's you know it's a different life when you have a family that you're fucking trying to provide for you know the um man i'm trying to remember this dude's name the uh jamie something he was tight with i think he was like tight with rogan the um he's he got outed he, i'm trying to look up his name right now
0: the um oh kilstein kilstein yeah Kielstein. jamie kilstein kilstein
1: uh, i was down in uh <laughs> I was down in Bisbee, like working on a house down there and he's like added me on Instagram or Twitter or whatever the and then um, commented on every picture about how cute my cat was no oh, I want to pinch her little cheeks and stuff like that and then he started messaging me the and. um The. And it's because I was fucking six doors down from Doug, you know, and it was he was like, oh, yeah, you know, the oh, if you're in Tucson, you know, I'll definitely like buy you lunch or whatever. The And finally, I was just sort of like the listen, man, did you ever deal with that fucking me too shit? You know, the like I just had to ask him, you know, the um, I'm down to be friends with people and I'm certainly down to give people a second chance. You know, I've had a fucking million second chances, but it, it, I feel like it would be irresponsible of me not to. Not to address that, you know the he fucking disappeared <laughs> like instantly, and it was just you know it was clearly that he, clearly he was just sucking up to me because of Stanhope and all that shit, and then when I asked him one real question, he just disappeared, so Jamie Kelstein, if you're listening, fuck you
0: <laughs> the yeah, yeah, my, I got a I mean that guy is like uh. That guy's like, from all accounts, pretty good at jujitsu. So I respect that. But uh, have you ever seen the video White Boy Blues? Uh, No, should I? Can you fight? Can you? Is that something you can put on now?
1: The I don't. I'm not good enough at. I don't. I'll put a link in the fucking episode. Okay. Yeah. Don't don't worry about it. I don't know the technology. That's yeah. also a, a <laughs> dude. Fucking, don't worry about it. That's also probably a pretty <laughs> spot-on <laughs> description of the music that I make. So I, I'm gonna feel uh, insecure about that until I look it
0: up. No, you don't even, dude. Just, just wait, man. You don't even <laughs> know what you're in for. He was like on, uh, like uh, MSNBC. I think it was some news network. Like had a show, and he was like i don't know i hate to say virtue signaling because i know that's like a shitty term that's going to make me look like a pun but it's it's crazy you just have to watch it it's fucking bananas it's like uh it's like a you know a skit but he's really doing it he's really out there doing it and uh, i don't know what happened with his me too shit and i i don't really i don't really care i don't think he I don't know. Whatever it is, th- that was the thing. Is that afterwards, was like, I, such I, a dork. I, I
1: like went and read about it, and the and it sounded like you know, compared to fucking Harvey Weinstein and like you know all this shit, the it didn't seem to be, you know, it seemed to be sort of like creepy or jerky. I can't even remember the, but, and not like uh, criminal or abusive. The, um, but the way that he responded, I, I was just sort of like, well, that's that's my answer right there. You know, the, um,
0: I think, well, he went, he went too fucking hard the other way. That's what happens whenever someone like, dude, anytime someone takes a hard stance into almost anything, but especially like a social issue that doesn't really affect their personal life. I got to assume that behind the scenes, they're doing the exact opposite of like the thing that they're way out and about, you know what I mean? That's what it's just like i always get those vibes from dudes that are like i mean he was one of those like women are better than men like we're inferior you should be worshiping them and not like they're treated unfair in in all these ways and of course i'm not saying that that's not the case but dude if that's become your whole life like you got to be up to something
1: yeah the for a minute there you know. When it, I, when it sort of reached, you know, sort of peak fervor there, you know, I had people asking me if I considered myself a feminist and I was like the yeah, maybe privately, I aspire to that, but also any guy who introduces himself to you as a feminist, like that should put your fucking hackles up that he's advertising it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. That's my, this is my opener. You know, <laughs> the, um, you know, one one of the things that I saw with Kilstein too, and with a bunch of those sort of like the second string, um, all right, fuck. I mean, he's bigger than I am. I, I fuck it. He's still second string. Second string comics during COVID was that they were out like hitting the road real hard, and I was like, the you know, congrats on taking your shot while you can, and putting everybody's health at risk. As soon as this starts to die down, you're going to go back to being an MC. The you know, or being the fucking opener at your local club, the, I don't know, when I saw people taking those yeah. shots during well, COVID, are you going to disagree? I
0: would have done it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't disagree. It's just like, if I could, if I would have not been like so entrenched in something, I would have done it. But, you know, I'm definitely not like an anti-COVID guy, but I've already been, like, I've been on t- so on top of my health for like, I had, like, when I first started comedy, I was a real fucking fat pig for a few years. Like, I just gave up on everything, and I was doing open mics, like, every other night, drinking at those, running a restaurant, drinking up there, just, like, you know, I didn't, like, I didn't have a problem with alcohol or anything like that, but mostly the drinking would lead to, like, getting fast food and just being a pig. So, I had, like, a few shitty years, but, like, COVID happened, I mean, three or four years after I got back in. I mean, to work it out every day and like, I've already known about the effects of like vitamin D and like the appropriate carriers to keep vitamin D in your system for your immune system. Like no matter what virus, bacteria, anything that can get into your system. I mean, I'm not a fucking health expert by any means and I'm not being like a COVID hoax guy, but like all those things for me, And like the direct house I live in, who's on the same type of regimen, it just never, I'm also not like a, Afraid type of person I'm sure a lot of your fans are really gonna hate that but I definitely would have gone I would have, uh,
1: the, uh, Chris that's one of the things I've always respected about you is that the when there's an opportunity for you to uh, to say something you don't feel or to burn the bridge you burn the bridge because you're you're honest and you speak your mind you know the, I, <laughs> I respect that the um, I want to say too I've been going hard on the D for a long time because, uh, it also pushes back against depression. And so when, you know, when all those studies dropped that, um, yeah, the, you know, the vitamin D, uh, you know, helped your resistance to COVID or, or resulted in lower rates of hospitalization. The, um, I felt, I felt vindicated
0: the, I felt very, uh, well, I wouldn't even say like, I hate that it gets put on COVID because it's like getting your blood checked and knowing what your body's deficient on. And also just like having a well-rounded food lifestyle. Uh, I mean, it sucks that like COVID happened and shit, but put that completely out of the picture. That should just be part of everybody's day-to-day life anyway. Wait, like, I, f- I feel like you still you eat know, dog shit all the time. I feel
1: like I've seen you—you posting like uh, you know fucking waffles and
0: uh, I don't know the Oh, keto waffles, dude. <laughs> yeah, I only eat those like I only eat those protein waffles, but uh, not a lot. I mean, I'll I'll eat some fucked up shit, but like once a month or so. Yeah, once a month I'll get something pretty pretty nasty, dude. Because yeah. uh, I feel like there's just uh, whatever I feel like I need to eat something disgusting. I go, I hit it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But that's I don't like, get that the, urge often. And, you know.
1: That's like the juggling dream. You just, you got to go and fulfill it and then be like, Oh, I, I should not have gotten a fucking share pack of Twizzlers. You know, I, I, this isn't even food. This is like, <laughs> yeah. I just ate two pounds of wax. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow morning's going to be great.
0: Well, I, and like every other fucking artist on the planet, I'm impulsive as shit too. You know what I mean? I just, uh, can easily outweigh, like, how am I going to perform tomorrow and put that aside? Like pretty simply, if I'm out with like a pig, like Sam talent and he wants to go get (laughs) what a burger, you know, it's like, nah, man, like you can pig out and be gross, but I'm going to get like a piece of meat from there.
1: Yeah. The, I, uh, you know, I, I give, you know, JT and, uh, Everybody who eats fucking garbage like that on the road, I, I give them shit. And the, I smoke now, kind of. I've been trying so hard to quit for so long and I run, I run almost every day. The, um, but I, I can't, I fucking keep saying like this is my last pack and then I keep buying another one. And it's whatever it's between two to five cigarettes a day, but also like I'm 45 Smoking. If you're going to do a drug smoking is the worst fucking drug. It's the least amount of payoff for the most amount of bad shit. The, and uh, yeah, I just can't fucking get it out of my life. It sucks. The, May you ever uh, fuck with those nicotine pouches? Pouches. The, is it like a, like a colostomy bag or like a,
0: no 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 uh they're like uh i don't even know how to describe it it's like the snus things but there's no tobacco like uh just like pure like uh bandits yeah but there's no tobacco in it
1: uh yeah i don't know the i i you know i i still love smoking uh i remember being on tour in virginia and like getting a pack of marlboro reds and opening it and it was like they were so fresh that it was like they were like sticky and it was just like the, it was mm. so heavy. It was like eating a steak, but fucking smoking a cigarette. Like I still love it. <laughs> the, um, yeah. It's pathetic.
0: Yeah. But- I never smoked, man. I never like, I'm, I'm pretty bad about relating to that. I never, uh, I've tried to get addicted to all types of shit. It just never takes, <laughs> dude.
1: Well, we should pool our resources sometime because I, I've had a hard time finding shit. I, I can't get addicted to the, um, I just remembered <laughs> yeah. I remember the last time that I saw you. The and this is actually a good fucking heartwarming story so we should walk on this. The last time I saw you was when I was at the tail end it was my last show after being on the road for fucking 5 months without a break and I was crazy. I was out of my head. I was fucking exhausted and just like uh like fat and skinny just road-worn and not in a good way, like coming unhinged. And I had a day off on a Sunday in Oklahoma City, and you were opening up for Kyle the at the club there. And I think I hit you up for tickets or something to see if I could come to the show. And then you said there was no opener, so you got me on the bill to open up for my favorite comic on the last night of this insane run. And then, and then you dipped out on the feature spot and let me feature. So I would be direct support for Kanane on that last night. How are you ever going to get ahead in comedy? If you don't start fucking over your <laughs> friends, Chris, the, that was an incredibly generous thing. <laughs> the. I mean I really that made my fucking night and also oh, the
0: thanks man. I, mean, I didn't even look at it like that. It's just like I was already
1: <laughs> the but i mean it's a cherry spot that you had, you know the and you know I feel like anybody would be a fool to give that up, but the that was definitely. I've done a lot of tours and most of them have sucked and that tour sucked too. They all suck. It's the worst. The, and I keep going back to it, the, but that night, man, you let me like fucking ride out like a champion. And then Kane came up to me and said, you know, like the, or I texted him the next day and, you know, to say thanks. And he, he said something incredibly nice, Um, which I, of course, I immediately lost that phone. So I can't exploit that quote. and Leverage his name. You can't <laughs> hashtag
0: Kyle Canadian. the, <laughs> Oh no, dude. <laughs> the um... yeah, well, I'm glad you had fun. I didn't even think about. I don't see. I don't think about shit like that, man. It's just like I'd already been out all week uh, doing that same thing, so it only made sense. Yeah, I still did 20 minutes and crushed. So I don't <laughs> see why anybody wouldn't like what. <laughs> I don't see why anybody wouldn't like what I was up to. And then it was more fun. Like it's a mixed bill that way. So
1: yeah, yeah. I had something to watch. You know what I mean. Chris, you're a good dude, and I will I will never understand that. Let's um, let's try to keep in. in You're a good dude, man. What do you mean? The we'll see. The time time is yet to tell. The um, let's keep in closer touch. The I also I got to get your mailing address because I have a couple of uh, two XL tank tops. Um, because apparently my uh, fan base. the two XL fans I have don't feel comfortable wearing a baby blue tank top. And I feel like you and buddy would rock those. Maybe maybe for your next
0: wrestling match, (laughs) who knows denim on denim. Hopefully I want to come. I was really trying to do like, I'd like to do wrestling full time means like on the weekends, like the same, I would say I'm doing comedy full time. So hopefully I can get down there for that. Uh,
1: I, I feel like Pogue and I did, uh, opened a show or something that was where it was like a wrestling night. The, but they do, um, you know, they have all kinds of wrestling shit down here and in Tucson, the, my door is always open to you. I'd love to, uh, love to see you down here. Just don't come to visit from like June 1st until the end of September, because it's a fucking hellscape here. Oh, it's not that bad, dude. (laughs) The, um, it's no Arkansas. The Chris, I love you, buddy. Great to see you. Thanks a ton for doing the podcast, man.
0: Hey, love you too, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. All right. Take care. Mr.
1: Shibali is catching up with friends who are
0: arguably more talented than him.
1: Hey, we're going to jump in here with a quick word of thanks to our corporate sponsor. Oh, What's that? Where this podcast is not sponsored by Squarespace? Yes, that's right. This is a uh, totally independent, um, no no Exxon money. Um, Oh, Christ. Uh, This is an independent podcast. We don't do second takes on bogus commercials. Please uh, rate, review, subscribe, post your... uh, your heartwarming compliments on the uh, Apple Podcast app and spread the word. Thank you.